the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, September 12th. After two weeks of wondering who was going to step up given the dearth of Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, and so many other top 10 ATP men in this U.S. Open event, we were wondering who was going to challenge Novak Djokovic, give him a run for his money to take this year's title. Of course, then we were all shocked when Novak Djokovic was defaulted from this event after he hit a ball at the back fence. It struck a line judge in the throat, and since that moment, we have all been wondering who was going to step up, who was going to emerge, put themselves in a position to take home their first Grand Slam title, the first non-Big 3 Grand Slam title since the 2014 U.S. Open. Well, after two weeks, folks, we finally have our answers. It's going to be Alex Zverev taking on Dom team, and boy, is it exciting to talk about how they got there. Joining me today to do just that, as he has throughout these three weeks of action in New York, you of course know him as our Crack Rackets Do Everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated tennis coach in Missouri high school history, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, what a semifinal day of action. How are you feeling? Yeah, pretty good. A little exhausted, but, you know, trying to get my rest back. You know, I know we were talking before the pod. It's been the first time where we've just watched matches end to end. Um, And, you know, obviously you and I were on the phone for at least probably half of that time. So I'm a little exhausted from that, but I I feel rested and and I'm ready for a women's final today and ultimately the men's final the next. So I'm feeling all right. No, it's going to be a really fun championship weekend of tennis. I agree. You and I could both use the Alex Vera treatment. It obviously took a lot of, uh, it got a lot of attention on tennis Twitter. We could kick our feet up right now on a massage board, have someone bring us sushi. And I feel like that would be exactly what we need after these three weeks of podcasting. But of course, as you mentioned, we're ready to keep rocking and rolling because we know Rome starts next week. The draws released today and we're going to save that. We're going to save Istanbul, Kitzbühel, the challengers, ITF results. We'll talk about those tomorrow when we only have one U.S. Open match to break down. We also learned about the ATP's plan to restructure. Now, obviously, the ATP feeling some pressure following the formation of the PTPA, Vashik Pospisil, Novak Djokovic's Professional Tennis Players Association, trying to put pressure on the ATP to uh, enact some structural reform. And we're starting to learn the details of what the ATP plans on doing moving forward. But again, we're going to save that stuff for tomorrow. Today, we're just going to focus on those men's semifinals because, again, it was two really exciting matches for two very different reasons. Uh, We'll talk about that. We will, as Jamie mentioned, preview today's women's final, which, of course, is going to be a barn burner between Victoria Azarenka and Naomi Osaka. And, of course, the reason we're able to do all this here every day on the mini break is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, look good, feel good, play good. It really is that simple on the court. You imagine Alex Virev, he wasn't playing very good, but he was always looking good out there. It was just a matter of flipping the script for him, and you saw his coach toss an energy bar to him at the start of that third set, and it gave him the energy boost he needed. Folks, you can find a product just like that yourself by going to aerobar.com, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. More potassium than a banana, and of course, 
it comes with a Cracked Rackets podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes where we focus on the importance of nutrition, fitness in the modern game. Just go to aerobar.com, use that promo code CRACKED15 to let them know we sent you there. Of course, for all of your equipment needs, go to MidwestSports.com, the latest rackets, strings, shoots, cl- uh, shoes, clothing. It's all there. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Midwest Sports Wine to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, and again, look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. All right. With that in mind, Jamie, let's talk about these semifinal matches because all of us for years have been wondering who is going to be the next thing, the next big thing following the big three. Who could possibly fill their shoes following all they've done for the game, the success they've had? Who, in the end, is ultimately going to be able to break through? Would any of them be able to do that? And obviously, extraordinary circumstances bringing us to this moment, Jamie, but we finally have our answer. We have two names who it's going to be. And let's start with the more dramatic of the matches, the one filled with tension, as it just always seems to be when Alex Vera finds himself in the later stages of a Grand Slam. In this match, Vera found himself taking on number 20-seeded Pablo Carreno Busta. Of course, Carreno Busta, the recipient of the Djokovic default, he then goes on to knock off Denis Shapovalov in five sets in his quarterfinal match. And he races out to his two sets to love lead here, Jamie. It was his his second U.S. Open semifinal of his career. He just seemed so ready for this moment, came out so solid, came out not missing. But in the end, it was Alex Virev, 3-6, 2-6, 6-3, 6-4, 6-3, advancing to his first Grand Slam final. I think you can hear the smile on my face, Jamie, but I want to give you the first word. Your reaction to this topsy-turvy match. I mean, I, I disappointed. Um, like it, you know, it's look, you have the silver lining of the fact that, Oh, Hey, somebody's going to go to the finals and that's going to be exciting. But, um, by and large throughout this match, I was disappointed in the level. Um, you know, look, Zverev ultimately gets it done. And, and I think there are some good things to take from that because we always talk about it. Hey, if you're going to be a great, you know, you do need to be able to win ugly and win in matches when you're not playing your best. Um, but you know, at a certain point, you also have to get to that level, right. Where you're actually performing at, you know, what people expect of you. So a a bit disappointing in this one, Karina Busta, obviously, you know, he's got to be disappointed in himself for letting this sort of lead go away. But realistically, I mean, you mentioned it. Yes. Karina Busta did come up solid in those first two sets. Yes. He was a backboard. Yes. He did the right things, but my goodness was Zverev playing poorly. Um, so I think that is really where the disappointment kicks in. Again, so a just, bit of redemption to, here. I was going to say, to add to that, you talk about sets one and two for Alex Zverev in the match. He has 71 winners against 57 unforced errors, 25 winners against 36 unforced errors in those first two sets. So again, if you divide the match into two, when he was losing, he had a minus 11 ratio. When he was winning, he had, what, a plus, I think, 20. Uh, five ratio because in the end he ends plus 14 so it was literally two completely different Alex Virev performances well yeah and also that's a bit misleading too if you take aces out of the equation which obviously sure. you know it's, it's important to talk about the serve because you and I mentioned it it's the biggest weapon on the court um, but yeah if you take aces out of that question you know 
it's it's completely different as well. So in general, yes, he cleaned up his act and he started playing like this Zverev that we know and that we expected, right? I mean, because those you know sets three, four, and five are good to see, uh, but ultimately, look. That's just simply not going to cut it against a Dominic team. And I know we'll get to the team and Medvedev portion of this later, and previewing this match is something that we will do in depth at a later time. But the bottom line for me right now is that performance, yes, he won, and that's great. It's good to show a bit of resiliency, and it's got to give him some confidence at the very least. But this was ugly. Yeah, I mean, I can hear the contempt in your voice, and obviously on tennis Twitter, this match received a lot of grief. Uh, there were people, I think it was Ev- Evgeny Kofilnikov, who said this is the worst Grand Slam semifinal I've seen since 2001, when it was Hewitt versus whomever Hewitt played in that semifinal, and look, there, there's two ways to look at it. Yeah. The tennis was not pretty at many portions of this match, particularly those first two sets. There was just nothing Alex Zverev could do. And, you know, it was funny. At the end of each of the sets, he he got a break back against PCB and had chances to kind of shift the momentum and get into this match. And I thought those little moments were so crucial for Zverev in this match, who really could have found a way to get down on himself easily, to just fold after those first two sets. And it's a credit to him that he did not do that. It was There was a moment, I think in the midst of the second set where he kind of looked at his box for the first time and just kind of like, it wasn't a a negative turn. He's just like, look, what can I do? Like, clearly whatever I'm trying through this first set and a half is just not working. What can I do? And the biggest positive for Alex Vierab in this match is just how good he continues to look physically. I mean, with his frame six foot six, to be able to move the way he does, to be that flexible, but also be that powerful, it's a special uh, type of athlete. One you don't see frequently in tennis. That's why, you know, I have continued to be so high on his upside. That's why, obviously, when I'm looking at this match, the positives I want to take is, for him, this is about, this is winning as ugly as you can win. But he still finds himself in his first Grand Slam final. And it's the first time he's come back from two sets to love down in a major. That's a huge moment in your career. And to do that uh, while on the precipice of your first Grand Slam final, I just think mentally, how could this not be a breakthrough for him? To have all of the pressure put on your shoulders to say, hey, Djokovic is out of the tournament sphere. This is essentially your top half of the draw to lose. And he almost lost it. But in the end, he didn't. And I think... You know, again, if you're searching for positives here, glass half full, that's what it's got to be for Alex Vierva. It's like, look, you're not going to play any worse than you did in those first two sets in the final. So you've gotten to the final now. Team is the heavy favorite. You can you can take that pressure off your shoulders and just play freely the way you sort of did in sets three, four, and five of this match. Yeah, I mean, listen, right, he's in the final, and that's great. And, right, once you get to a Grand Slam final, I mean, a lot of things in the past don't necessarily matter. Yes, you mentioned he's going to go in the underdog, but, and look, you're biased because you love Zverev, and, and that's fine, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll let you get away with it, much like I did in Murray, with Murray in years past. So here's my problem, though. Zverev really hasn't shown me much that's impressive. You know, I already mentioned I gave him credit for winning ugly and getting through matches because that's absolutely something he's going to have to lean on. But look what he's done in this U.S. Open. Round of 16 plays an unseated player, beats the living hell out of him. Okay, great. In the quarters, Chorch completely chokes against him. Yes, Zverev gets it done, but he should have been down two sets to love, no question. Then to get to the finals, he beats a 20 seed after completely blowing it in the first two sets. Ultimately, yes, he gets it done, and that's great. But, you know, you go back to the level of play. I mean, think about the people in the top half of this draft have to be kicking themselves. I mean, obviously, namely Djokovic, but even like a Shapovalov who didn't get it done against Karina Busta, they're like, are you kidding me? 
can beat this guy. Like, do you see this level of play? So it, it is just a little disappointing, and, and I, I won't spend any more time simply bashing on it because I've gotten out my takes already. Um, and I am genuinely excited to see a final that's Zverev and team because those two, over the last few years, they've put themselves at the top of the game outside of the top three, and the big three, excuse me, and so they deserve to have a stage like this. It's just a bit of a bummer that we got here the way we did, right? If Zverev came out there and just slashed Karina Busta, I'd be a lot happier right now. Um, but ultimately, he gets through it looking pretty disappointing in my mind. And now we're set to a final that I just genuinely kind of feel lukewarm about. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I would say, again, if I told you going into this U.S. Open that we were going to get a Zverev team final, I think tennis fans across the, uh, the, the globe would have been excited about that because to exactly. your point, you're right. These mm-hmm. are two of the heir apparents. And, you know, for me, I keep saying this, having followed Alex Zverev as closely as I have, dating back to him making a couple of Junior Slam finals, right? I think he lost in the final of Junior French Open, but that he beat Stefan Kozlov in the Junior uh, Australian Open Grand Slam final. And, you know, obviously... Uh, uh, for him, uh, it hasn't always been prettiest, uh, pretty in the biggest moments at the slams. It's been very pretty when he wins big at the Masters 1000s, and it just feels like this was always the way it was going to be. He was going to have to find a way to win ugly. He was going to have to find a way to win not playing his best tennis, get to the final, and he did that. Now, you know, he knocked that check mark. He's done that before, so moving forward in his career, he's not playing well going into a fourth round or a quarterfinal. It's like, yeah, well, I made the final of the 2020 U.S. Open not playing well so I can do it again. Now, the upside for him is he can play well moving forward at slams and it's like oh this is new uh so that'll be fun but I just think for him it's the fact that he was playing this poorly and there are just still little things in his game that allow him to have success the fact that 24 aces on the first uh on the serve against eight double faults again the double faults come in fits but it shows the sort of weapon his serve can be he made 62 percent of his first serves won 78 percent of those points it's just a weapon he was 37 of 50 at the net I thought he did a really good job sets three four and five opening up the court for himself putting PCB under pressure moving forward and then again when all else fails he can just turn to the things he trusts most which is his physicality and the fact that you know quietly he's a six foot six grinder and I just think for him he's another guy who some you know it feels like he never finds plan A in these big stages. Plan A might not be working, but he does, much like a Medvedev, have a B, C, D he can turn to. And again, I'm trying to keep a glass half full here, but it was ugly. But it's also a credit to Karina Busta, right, who we haven't talked much about here in this match, who just put a ton of pressure on Zverev, who did everything you want to do when you recognize your opponent is playing tight, when your opponent is is just this nervous about the stage. Uh, but in the end, just he didn't have quite enough to hurt Zverev, and this rack match was always on Zverev's racket. Yeah, and, and I think actually the problems for Karina Busta became when Zverev went to his plan B, C, whatever you want to call it, where he was just you know sitting behind the baseline making balls. Um, it made Karina Busta a little uncomfortable, right? You know, he loves dealing with pace, redirecting. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. what he's so good at on a hard court. And so when Zverev took that away from him, um, I mean, you could sense the discomfort was right there. And so that's when you start to see more errors from Karina Busta. I, I think the biggest problem for me, though, and yes, credit to Zverev for getting through this match, because at the end of the day, you get through the match, you get to a final, and ultimately, a final is one match and anything can happen. So again, credit to him for getting through it. My problem, though, is that, you know, plan B, C game that Zverev was playing against Karina Busta, he will lose 0-0-0 to team if he plays like that. 
Um, yeah. I mean, it just he just simply can't do that. So, I mean, again, very different situation, and who knows what he would have done if he was found himself in this situation against Dom Team. Um, but here we are. Zverev gets it done. Unfortunate for Karina Busta because, you know, you know he's kicking himself here. You know, if he could have this to start over in the third set, he absolutely would. He would go back and change up a few things tactically. But for me, regardless, another semi um, of a U.S. Open, not a bad result for Karina Busta. And, you know, I think if you told him he was going to make the semis and lose in five of the U.S. Open, he'd be just fine with that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think for Karino Busta, who now moves back into the top 20, he's at number 18 in the world with this result. It's where he belongs. He, you know, struggled with health a lot these past 24 months, and now that he is healthy, now that he is, you know, he finds himself back in the top 20, and I don't think that's going to surprise any of us who have followed tennis this closely uh, for the past five years. Of course, for Zverev, first player born in 97, fourth born in the 90s to play a slam final. He's the first player to win a slam semifinal recovering from two sets to love down since Djokovic did it against Federer at the 2011 U.S. Open. Some of the other people who have done it, Baghdadis, Roddick both did it against Nalbandian, uh, Arno Clement did it against Sebastian Grosjean. And so again, those stats, by the way, from my friend at Luca back on Twitter. But yeah, you're absolutely right to a point you made. If Zverev plays like this against Dominic Team. He is not going to win his match because you look at Dominic Team and his performance against Daniil Medvedev, and this was the semifinal all of us had circled as wanting to see when the draws came out because these are two players who had both, you know, other, again, these were the two who had made a Grand Slam final. Medvedev did it at last year's U.S. Open. Team done it, you know, twice at the French, also did it this year's Australian Open, and, you know, a lot of us felt Daniil Medvedev actually entered this match as a favorite. It was DraftKings and the bookmakers had him as the favorite to win the U.S. Open heading into these semifinals because three out of five sets on a hard court, he's just such a tough out. And yet, Jamie, where I want to start in this Dominic team, 6-2-7-6-7-6 straight set win over Daniil Medvedev. We'll talk about how Medvedev had chances and might have, you know, probably should have won sets two and three, but Dominic Team beat Daniil Medvedev at his own game yesterday. Dominic Team was perfectly fine playing 20, 30, 40 ball rallies, just waiting for the ball that he could turn into, and ultimately he was able to do that. This is arguably the best I have ever seen Dominic Team play. Yeah, this was a really impressive performance, and not just because of the level of play, but tactically how he was able to stay exactly. in there and be patient. Exactly. And, and this is exactly what I expected. I mean, I can't say that I saw it being a straight set win, and as you mentioned, probably shouldn't have been. But I did pick team to win this just because I, I think his level has just been a notch higher. Um, and listen, Medvedev had been so solid, hadn't dropped a set. But what I saw from team and his ability to take offense, look, I think the only set he dropped was to former champ Marin Cilic, right? So to me, kind of a wash. Um, ultimately, and I will say this, though, you mentioned could have gone either way in sets two and three. I think they both knew that Medvedev probably somehow had the edge if he pulled out that set number three. I absolutely could have seen a two sets from behind win coming from Medvedev if he wins set three. And that's why both of them were yelling, carrying on, and so locked in in set number three because there was so much riding on it. Team was tired. You know, you, you saw he, he was slipping a couple times. He had some things bothering him. He was not happy to be out on the court, but he was incredibly happy to get off of it um, once he got out of that third set breaker. So, again, it's not often that we say the straight set you know, match was far better than the five setter, but in this case, it absolutely was. 
You know, I can just hear how much more you're enjoying talking about this match already than you did the previous match. I could just, again, I heard the hate in you, or the contempt for that Zverev PCB result. But yeah, this was just splendid tennis from start to finish. And there were a couple of inciting incidents, right? Medvedev, I think it was 2-3. He's serving add out. He hits the serve. He thought it was long. Shot spot confirmed it was long, but there was no call. Medvedev wanted to challenge. The chair umpire wouldn't let him challenge to see if the serve was out out. You know, there was some sarcasm between Medvedev and the uh, and the uh, umpire, and or the uh, supervisor, excuse me, who was in the crowd, and he was, you know, uh, all of these different things that sort of set that was, him that off. That was and, for crossing onto the other side, though, right? You know, that, so he got about. a point penalty for that, yeah. but he was upset because he wasn't allowed to challenge, and right. yeah, you know, again, from there, it's sort of, that first set gets away from him, but in sets two and three, it's worth mentioning, Medvedev served for both of those sets, and in mm-hmm. both instances, Dominic Team was able to come up with breaks, and it just felt in every ma- in every big moment of this match, you know, when Daniil Medvedev gets down in a big moment, he wants to just outgrind you. He's going to put up the wall and say, okay, try and beat me, and Dominic team was just able to do it. I mean, look at the distance covered per point in this match, Jamie. Dominic team at 58.7 feet per point. Daniel Medvedev, 54.2. These guys ran about three miles of sprints in a three-set match. Very rarely do you get numbers in distance covered over 10,000 feet in the match when it's only straight sets. This was just a physical battle. And again, for Dominic team, 22 winners against 33 unforced errors. I, I, if, I just think that so far underrates how much pressure he was putting on team uh, on Medvedev and then how patient he was and ultimately able to open up the court for himself yeah again this is one where you can't go to the stat sheet and learn everything about the match by looking at the winners to unforced errors ratio mm-hmm. um and you know it's interesting because the commentators are saying you know throughout the match wow i can't believe team is moving more and it, and again a stat that's a bit misleading because to me they were both moving each other phenomenally throughout the points right i mean some of these sh- some of these rallies were just going for seemingly ever the difference though is team not only was he dictating when he could he also ran around his backhand a lot. Um, and so, you know, you think about the number of feet that that adds per point. So I, I think that's a big piece of that equation that's not necessarily taken into account. But regardless of, of the difference between the two, both were moving like crazy. Both were staying in rallies. And yeah, I mean, credit to team for being that patient. Again, though, I mean, hey, I would still be just about as happy with this match if Medvedev ended up winning it because in my mind, these two have been the best players in the tournament. Um, so, Honestly, you know, this probably should have been the final, not the way the draw breaks, so whatever. Um, it is what it is. A little bit disappointing for Daniil Medvedev. Um, hard to see him crumble in sets two and three like that. Yes, credit to team for being a tough competitor and whatnot, but, I mean, Medvedev, you, you got to be kicking yourself moving away from this one. No, there is a couple of drop shots he hit in this match that were just so confounding. You're like, why would you make that decision in that moment? I think one of them was at the when he was serving for that third set. He just hit this horrible drop shot on, I think, a break point, and I think it or on a deuce, and it ended up uh, gifting team the break point, and then he broke on the next one. But yeah, I mean, he had so many chances in this match, and it was funny because he goes down what six three or six two in that third set breaker, and it looked like he was about to come back, and he got the point on. 
serve again 5-6 there and he just he wasn't able to come through and it's a credit to Dominic team who just kept again providing relentless pressure who did a really good job mixing in backhand slice with going big backhand down the line and the scariest thing in the world is if Dominic teams on the ad side of the court and he goes down the line with that ball and then he gets to open up the court for himself with an inside out or inside in forehand and you're just like even if you have Daniil Medvedev's length even if you have his movement abilities it's just there's nothing you can do it's this two-shot combo that is just death and you know someone I I think it was Ricky Diamond uh, tweeted this out and it was really interesting in that Dominic team right now he probably is the only player maybe the player on tour including the big three with the highest peak whereas if everyone's playing their best right now you know you probably still take Djokovic on a hard court over team but arguably what from what we've seen in 2020 Dominic team when he plays his best has the peak now to match those guys do you think that's fair because you're looking at this performance and it really was about as airtight as you can you know from every angle that you can come up with right yeah I mean I look I think it's fair I mean listen this is a similar sort of take that I give when I'm talking about Vavrinka a few years ago as being one of the few people who can hit through a Djokovic right we saw him do it in 2015 obviously what I'm more referencing is uh, on clay at the French but same sort of idea right there are only a few people who possess the amount of power to actually hit through someone like a Djokovic Um, and Dominic team is showing that he can do it Now, no, Medvedev is not Djokovic. Yes, there's some similarities in there. Yes, they have the ability to retrieve and whatnot. Um, But no, I mean, look, again, this is why it would have been nice to see a Team Djokovic final to really put this thing to the test. But unfortunately, that's not where we land. And, you know, Team, if he keeps this level up, I don't see a world where he loses. Man, this negativity on Zverev in the final, it's just unacceptable. just Look at his road. Look at Let's just be unbiased for a second. His road to the final. Nakashima, Manorino, Davidovich Fokina, Chorich, Carreno Busta. And now he's in the final of the you, US Open. Who did you not include there? Who did you purposefully leave out? Kevin Anderson, round one. Four oh. shots. Great win. Purposeful leave out. I'm, look, that was again. not no, that was not purposeful. It, it cut to the last it cut to the last five matches. So yes, Anderson in four, Nakashima in four, Manorino in four, Davidovich Fokina in three, Chorich in four, Karina Busta in five. Yeah, hey, if you want to make a run, those are some great wins for like an ATP 500. (laughs) All I'm saying is you can only play the opponent that shows up across the net from you. Zverev has done that. I know, and I said that. Credit to him for getting through this. And now that he's in the final, it's more of a anything can happen sort of deal. But don't tell me that he's had to go through a gauntlet to get to the final because that's just not true. I'm not saying he needed to go through a gauntlet. I'm saying you can still be excited about him being in the final. And again, to a point we have both made, these have been the two heir apparents. You date back to that six-week stretch Zero have had on the clay in 2018 or, you know, the fact that he, or maybe it was 2017 and then on the hard courts in 2018 and then he wins the year-end finals in twenty uh, in 2018 as well. And it's just, you know, this, uh, this slow rise. And obviously he didn't have had the success early in his career at the majors that you would have wanted but you look at these past results and fourth round australia quarterfinals french first round wimbledon fourth round u.s open semifinals australia now finals here we're seeing the breakthrough we're seeing the jump and again it's it's taking the little things away i'm not going to repeat myself again it's the fact that he's playing this bad and yet he finds himself in the final i don't know how that's not the takeaway it's like wow this guy actually. i have already said that i've already given that take i've already given that take good for him for winning but look, I know, compare but... it to team being a former Grand Slam champ. FAA, straight sets. Damon Hour, straight sets. Medvedev, straight sets. You're going to tell me those are the same? It's not even close. 
No, all I'm saying is this is exactly what I want. I I want Zverev in the underdog position. He's so much better as an underdog. So please continue. Yeah, because he cracks under pressure as a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Just another thing to add to the list. But continue. All right, well, we'll save this for tomorrow when we preview that match. Needless to say, it's going to be a really fun one. It's the youngest final we've seen at a Grand Slam major since that 2012 Australian Open between Nadal and Djokovic. And we all remember what a classic that match was. So certainly we have one to get really excited about but before we get to the men's final we have what is clearly the two best players in the women's field meeting up in this final Naomi Osaka taking on Vika Azarenka there will be no reservations about this match it was the final we were supposed to see at the Western Southern Open of course Osaka pulling out of that event due to a hamstring injury Uh, but it is the final we get to see here to conclude our play in New York we mentioned this a little bit yesterday but just a quick reminder for all of you Naomi Osaka Vika Azarenka they've played three times, not including the withdrawal at the Western Southern Open. Osaka 2-1 and one in her career. Both of those wins coming on clay. Vika won their only hard court exchange, but it was back in 2016 in the Australian Open. Obviously, a lot has changed for both of these players. Since then, you look at their runs to this final. Osaka Three set wins over Doi in the first round and, and uh, excuse me, Katsuyuk in the third round. Straight set wins over Georgie, Kantave, and Shelby Rogers uh, to get to the semifinals where, of course, she had a three-set battle with Jen Brady. So three sets dropped for her on the week for Vika. I mean, just incredible tennis all the way through. Wins over Haas, Sabalenka, Sviatek, Mertens in straight sets. Three set wins for her over Mukova and Serena to get to this point. So let's just start with the general feeling, Jamie. Osaka, Azarenka coming into this final. Who are you feeling better about? It's tough. Um, I think, obviously, the, the favorite still remains Naomi Osaka. Um, I think for me, though, Azarenka, it just comes down to how high of a level can she play with her offense? Um, Because if this is Merton's level offense, this match is over before it started. I mean, she was playing just lights out, and even as good as Osaka is against pace and retrieving that sort of ball, it won't matter. The problem is if Vika starts attacking a bit and, you know, the things aren't as clean, right? She misses a few wide. She's not hitting her targets, and it's going into the middle third where Osaka can, you know, get a hold of it this match becomes a lot trickier. So I think a lot of this match is going to live on Azarenka's racket. You know, obviously we've seen the power in the offense from Osaka, so no doubt she will dictate when she gets a chance. To me, though, it's just a matter of what Azarenka does when she has the opportunities to be the person who's dictating in this match. That's really what it's going to come down to. And if she executes, I think she can win this um, straight up, maybe even in straight sets. But it's really just that's, that's the question going into this match. So let's script out what the two wins look like, and let's start with the Osaka perspective. And we went through these numbers yesterday, so I'm not going to repeat them again. But in every single one of her matches, Naomi Osaka has had a first serve win percentage on, or a win percentage on first serve points over 76%. For the tournament, she's a little bit over 81%. You look at where she's at from a serving perspective, 35 aces in this event. You know, obviously she's played more matches, but that's uh, 20, or it's 19 more aces than Vika has through this point of the event. You look at uh, their first serve leaders, Naomi Osaka, in terms of first serve percentage of points one. Uh, She's number two in this event. She's won 81%, again, of her first serves 
second only to Madison Keys, who was at 85, but Vika Azarenka not in the top 20 on this list. So again, advantage there to Osaka. You even look at the second serve percentage, the things uh, Vika or the things Osaka has been able to do. She's number six uh, for this event at 57%. Again, Victoria Azarenka not in the top 20. You look again, it's just more stats like these for, for Naomi Osaka. It's, it all starts with the serve and that's what it's got to be. She's got to dominate with that uh, with that start of the point. She's got to take control of the point with that shot. She's got to hold serve in this match. And, you know, you look for her, again, that's what she does so well is use that serve to set up the plus one forehand or the plus one backhand. Just play big in those moments. Keep control of the point. Overwhelm her opponents with pace. That's where it starts for her. Now, you look on the flip side, some of these return numbers in this match. Or I guess let's just start there before we even look on the flip side. That's what an Osaka wins look like, right? Her just, her dominating on serve, her holding comfortably throughout this tournament and just ultimately not getting broken. Yeah, listen, I mean, if she serves that well, there's easily a world where she just wins this thing in straights by, you know, getting in one or two Azarenka's service games, and and she's just that solid. So, to me, what an Osaka win looks like is just comprehensively being solid, right? And that starts with the serve for her, as you mentioned, all those statistics pointing to the fact that she, I mean, that is such a staple of her game, and if she plays at that level with the serve and the first ball winning those points freely then yeah I mean that's that's going to free up a lot of things and put way more pressure on Vika when she's serving so I think you're absolutely right there it it all starts with the serve for Naomi Osaka yeah, now you look at the flip side. What does a Vika win look like? And it's worth mentioning how good Victoria Azarenka has been on return of serve. Now, she's, again, played more matches uh, than most of her opponents. But considering Naomi Osaka, as I mentioned, has dropped three sets in this event, Vika uh, has only dropped two. It feels worth noting, and Vika has also played some blowout matches. It's worth noting she's won 110 first serve points uh, 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 while receiving. That's, you know, again, more than Osaka's 100. You look at at the second serve return leaders, Victoria Azarenka's won 97 points on the second serve for Naomi Osaka. She is not even in the top 20 on the second serve return leaders. So, oh, excuse me, she's not in the top 20. She is on top of the top 20 at number one with 112. But I think that just has to do uh, with the size of her matches. But then here's what I was looking at: break points one. You know, Victoria Azarenka 31 breaks of serve versus Osaka 21 breaks of serve. And again, Osaka's had more total. Opportunities opportunity. She's had more chances. Vika's just been that effective with her return. Vika's going to have chances for herself. Vika's going to put herself in an, in a place to succeed, and that's why, and I want to get into some of the prop bets I had today on our GSP Ace of the Day. You can tell me if you think they're good ideas or bad ideas uh, as we try to preview this match, but just the way she's competing, she's going to, a Vika win looks like her just putting herself in every game, making every return to a big target, and just sort of overwhelming Osaka, right, with the sort of pressure she can put on her. I think so. I, I think for me, though, just to quickly return to the Osaka side, just because it so heavily impacts Azarenka's chance in this one, if Osaka keeps her first percentage serve really, really high, then Azarenka's not going to have much of a shot here. But if she starts missing more and more first serves, giving Vika Azarenka a look at those second serves, that's where Osaka becomes in trouble, and that's where Azarenka can gain the upper hand. So to me, again, yes, I already said it, it starts with the first serve for Naomi Osaka, specifically with the percentage of first serves that she's getting into play. I think that's the biggest stat going in and out of this match. Yeah, no, I mean... um 
it, it's again it's a really fascinating dichotomy it's the contrast in styles but certainly two players who have been playing their best tennis in New York so I think we're going to be treated to a really good match all right Jamie some prop bets for you that I made my GSP's aces of the day because I wasn't ready yet to pick a winner although you look at this match again Osaka minus 175 Azarenka plus 148 if you just want to pick a winner but I'm going to name a prop for you you just tell me good bet or bad bet sound good sure all right, Azarenka Osaka over nineteen and a half games. Um, so six four six four. Yeah, we beat that. So it's one break of serve for Azarenka in each set. And if she's breaking as Osaka more than once, then I mean, then again, that, then Osaka's feels, not playing as well as I thought. That feels right. That feels yeah. right. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna really hurt if it comes down to one one break in each set and it's a four and three win, but. That so what right. it really comes what it really comes down to is do you think it's going to be a straight set match because from here this is where I don't think it is. I think both of these players are playing so well. I think there's a world where Osaka just doesn't get broken in a set. She serves her way to a 7-5, 7-6 victory. I also know that Victoria Azarenka is not going away in straight sets. In her four Grand Slam finals she's played, she's lost three first sets in all three of those first sets she lost. She came back and won the second set and extended those matches to three. So I have Azarenka Osaka over two and a half sets at plus 133. Good bet, bad bet. I think it's good. I mean, I, I do like that uh, historical knowledge you sprinkle in there. That's one of the that's one of the few – just relish this, okay? It's one of the few times I really appreciate you throwing in that context and statistics of her coming back after dropping first set. So just just know that I appreciate that. Um, but no, I think I think that's a good bet. I mean, listen, I do think there's absolutely a world where this is just a four and six win for somebody. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see it go the distance. So sure, tack that one on as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to throw that in there. I'm also going to throw in there because, again, I you know, I – I just looked at this because I think it's going to go over three sets. The odds for Azarenka Osaka, 25 and a half games over plus 170. If you think it's going to go over two sets, I think you have to hit that 25 and a half. And by sure. the way, if it's 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, good serving, it can still hit the over there. But I do think this is going to be a three-set match. So I like plus 170 there over 25 and a half. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, it's it, it is pushing it, but again, hey, if you're already this is the problem, right? It's it's foot in the yeah, door basically. Exactly. As long as you're going one way, you're like, okay, well, if I get you to think it's going to be three sets, well, then I'm going to get you to think it's going to be over this amount of games. So, yeah, I, exactly. uh, I hey, listen, if you're going for it, if you think it's going to be a long grind, you might as well put your money where your mouth is. No, exactly. That is my. That's what I'm trying to do here. Well, then, last one for you, and this is just a really weird one. And by the way, I also throw in only three of the last ten U.S. Open finals have gone three sets, but two of those were Victoria Azarenka's three set matches. So that feels relevant. But my last one for you, and again, this is just because I like the odds, and I think we're getting some value here. And I'm only putting one dollar on it, only one dollar, but plus nine hundred Osaka to take the first set over Vika seven six. I like that. Right? That's not why horrible. Not? It's it's one dollar and I feel like nine to one odds, that feels like like there are gonna be some nerves, there's gonna be some tension, there's gonna be some good serving. I like a seven six first set. If I had to guess, I think it's gonna be six four, but hey, those odds on a seven six, not bad. That's what I'm saying. Plus nine, and it's only one dollar. Again, you, I've done some dumber things. You should have you should have you put all the chips in on that one. You should have been like, all right, thousand bucks, here we go. <laughs> There, 
I'll, I'll say this. That discussion came up in the production meeting. I agree. <laughs> well, then, um, with that in mind, Jamie, let's make a pick. Azarenka versus Osaka. I'll tell you, in case, again, for those of you at home who want to hear the odds, Osaka minus 175, Azarenka plus 148. The late money does seem to be going towards Azarenka right now. Is that the way you're leaning as well? I mean, listen, I haven't doubted her in three weeks. I can't start now, right? So give me Azarenka. Give me the championship. She goes back-to-back in New York for Western and Southern and the U.S. Open. Boom, let's do it. All right, that is a pick. I am going to stick with Naomi Osaka. It was my pick to start the tournament. I continue to say this. If she's playing her best tennis, she's the best player in the world right now in the women's game. I just think she can serve Azarenka off the court. And I think Serena. what, what Serena did to Azarenka through the first four games of the match, it's not going to be that perfect the entire time. But Osaka can do that to Azarenka for an entire match. And I think she saw the blueprint there. And I think the is going to scrap and claw. And like I said, this is a match that ultimately comes to a down to a third set. I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm, I didn't make ace of the day picking one way or the other in this match, but I'm going to stick with Osaka, who I just think has shown, again, when she plays her best tennis, it's unlike anything else right now in the women's game. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Hey, look, she's been the favorite since the beginning and for the right reasons, right? So not a surprise at all to see her in the finals. And hey, at this point, we just need to sit back and watch. It's going to be here before uh, we know it. All I'm saying is I need seven six three six six two, And then we hit all of our bets. And it's a yeah, big win for all of us on Ace of the Day. Exactly. So that's what we are looking for. But of course, if you fans are looking for a recap of all of the action that had happened in New York, you need to catch up on anything. Be sure to go to our website, CrackRackets.com, where you can find all of our daily recaps of this mini break podcast. You can find the GSPs I've done with people like Tumani Carriel, Nina Pantic, so many more throughout this U.S. Open. Of course, you can find our YouTube videos as well for our Ace of the Day picks. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We're at Cracked Rackets. You want to DM me directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to the men who make all this content possible. Our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who have a fuck of an any job to do, as always. Uh, and again, if you have missed any of our content, go to the website, CrackedRackets.com. A huge shout out to our friends at Aerobar and Midwest sports go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 15 to get 15 percent off go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 as well let them know we sent you there and again we're so grateful for the support we gave they give us the least we can do ask you to support them as well jamie any final thoughts before we head into a championship saturday at this u.s open Honestly, I'm feeling good. I feel like I got all of my takes out. Um, look, they weren't anti-Zverev. You just took them that way because you're so pro-Zverev. But no, <laughs> I feel good. I got my takes out. I feel refreshed, oh. and, and I feel like I'm ready to watch a uh, final of the U.S. Open. Thank you for reminding me of that. I just have to make two more quick points. A, oh God. this is – no, no, no. They'll, they'll be quick. The first one particularly quick. You know my fascination for the next-gen ATPers as well as college tennis. Uh, Kitzbühel tomorrow, Miomir Kasmanovic versus Yana Konifman literally the perfect nexus of those two interests in my life so if you don't think we're going to do five minutes on that tomorrow and all of the other things happening in the professional tennis world just a reminder that is the podcast you can expect on the mini break tomorrow part two and this gets into the Zverev thing and I should have done this at the top because it was an outstanding story and I meant to say it and I just as always with this thing I forgot uh, because I was just so blindsided by your Zverev animosity your hatred your downright betrayal of my Alex Zverev fan no, I'm just kidding. But uh, so as you mentioned, 
you and I are on the phone. This gets to just a fun thing, just so people know what it's like when I watch a match. Uh, I'm very superstitious for stupid reasons. I, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm superstitious. How those two things overlap doesn't really make sense. Nevertheless, you know, we're on the phone, Jamie and I, and Zverev is just getting blown out. And so I'm watching the, uh, you know, I'm sitting on the porch. Our dog is sitting out there as well, running around. I'm talking to Jamie, and it's just not going well for Zverev. So I'm like, all right, I, I just picked up Subway. I'm going to go watch this in the garage, and, I, you know, I'm going to bring my Subway in here. I'm going to stay on the phone with you, Jamie. I'm going to change locations. We'll see if that helps. It doesn't help. Not at all. Zverev goes down, what, 5-1 or whatever, how bad it was in that second set. He's just getting blown out. So I say, Jamie, I'm hanging up on you. I want to change the luck. Or I think he lost the—he was down a break in the second set. When I hung up on you, he gets blown out in the second set. So I'm like, okay— garage position isn't working. So what I ended up doing, I leave my phone in the garage charging. I go and watch the match in the living room and things start to turn around. And so I go immediately outside. I'm like, Jamie, I'm leaving my phone in the garage the rest of this match. If it works, I'll text you in between changeovers when I come check my phone. And it worked. So I just want to say for any of you out there who don't think superstitious watching is a thing, it's a thousand percent a thing, Jamie, and it a hundred percent got Zverev over the finish line. Wow. You should text him. Tell him to thank you. It was all you, apparently. The phone in the garage in Indianapolis really did the trick for him. I'm not saying it was all me. I'm just saying we all have our role to play. And for me, the role was realizing that my phone needs to be charging in the garage when he plays. Wow. Well, I'm happy for you. If you want to uh, instill any knowledge for me for this women's match to get Azarenka over the hump, you just let me know, okay? Another true story. There's a tweet in my drafts right now that says, I am never eating Subway during a Zverev match again. I mean, you should probably just never eat Subway again in general, but yeah, oh, that works too. They're not a sponsor, but they launched this new Snickers cookie, and congratulations, you have my business. Okay, well, I think that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> You promised perfect. to be quick, and you were not. Yeah, we could leave that there. Well, with that in mind, then, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and apparently Subway, and all of us here at both uh, Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy this women's final, everyone. 